Jesus is the law keeper who perfectly fulfilled the law of God and who gives those who believe in him the gift of perfect righteousness. You're listening to Wonder Lake Bible Church, building mature followers of Jesus Christ. Find us online at wlbiblechurch.org. Now, here's Pastor Dan Cox with today's message. I wonder, do you ever feel like you have to strive harder to be accepted by God? Do you ever feel like you have to just keep trying harder and harder in order to be a better person so that you can be better accepted by God or better loved by God? If you've ever felt that way, or perhaps some of you might be struggling with that right now, wondering, what can I do to be accepted by God? What can I do to receive more, experience more of God's love for me? How can I be a better person than I am? I want you to know that I have some good news for you here today. That good news is called the gospel. The gospel means good news. And the scriptures assure us that through repentance and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, we are accepted completely that we are totally loved. We can't possibly be loved any more than we are by God. You cannot be loved any more by God than you are right now. And that you are accepted totally. You don't need to keep striving and trying harder to be a better person because in and of ourselves, we can't be better than we are We must be perfect and holy. We can't do that in ourselves. So God has done that for us. And that's the gospel. The gospel is the good news that God has done for us what we could never do for ourselves. What? Be perfect. Be morally perfect. And he has done for us what we can do for ourselves so that we would not have to. And that is to face Judgment, face eternal judgment for our sin. See, that's the gospel, the good news. God has done for us what we couldn't do. He was perfect for us, and he has declared us perfect in him, in Christ. He then took the judgment, the punishment for our sins, so that we wouldn't have to. We are forever no longer under condemnation or judgment, but we've been given life blessing forever and ever. The Apostle Paul tells us in the book of Romans, chapter 1, verses 16 and 17, he says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. You know, this Easter week here, I want to proclaim the gospel story. Perhaps there is someone here right now or listening online who will hear and believe the gospel story and receive the gifts of forgiveness of all sins, escape from everlasting judgment, being credited with righteousness, that is, moral perfection, 
and being given the gift of eternal life and blessing forever and ever. That is very good news indeed, isn't it? Amen. You see, the gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Believes, puts their trust, their confidence in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Many of you know a friend of mine, Chuck Beckler, and he has a consuming passion for the gospel. Would you say so? Steve, why are you laughing about that, Steve? You know, well, he, have, he definitely has a consuming passion for the gospel, doesn't he? He loves the gospel. He loves to share the gospel. He loves to talk about the gospel. He loves to talk about it in very, very excitedly, doesn't he? Yes. Lots of energy when he talks about that. Exuberance, yes. Well, he has written a new book that's called The Logic of the Gospel, and it clearly lays out the incredible true story of what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. Jesus is the most amazing, heroic, gracious, and, and, and brave person, courageous person who has ever lived. Well, I have been working with him on the book. Would you believe Chuck needs a little help sometimes grammatically or spelling and things like that, right? So, or maybe sometimes shortening things up a little bit. But, uh, so I've been working with him on this book, and with his permission, I want to share with you all this Easter week these key elements of the gospel story, the amazing story of salvation in Jesus Christ. And with his permission, I share some of these, these, this terminology that he's used. He speaks of the gospel as this great story in which, first, human beings, mankind, was given paradise. Paradise was given by God, that God created us, and God created man to know him and to walk with him on a perfect earth. But then that paradise that was given by God was given up by man, Man was given a moral test of obedience, and that first man, Adam, failed that test, and he disobeyed God's clear command. And as a result of Adam's disobedience, sin and death, condemnation entered the world, and all of us fell in sin with Adam. And daily we prove that truth, that we are moral rebels We are sinners both in nature and in practice. And God is just then in condemning us for our sins. But aren't you glad the story doesn't end there? God gave man paradise. Man gave up paradise. But God now has given back paradise. Paradise has been given back. You see, because God had a plan to rescue us from condemnation, to grant us perfect righteousness, moral perfection, and to restore us to paradise. So then through repentance and faith in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, we escape condemnation as our sins are forgiven. We are given the gift of Christ's own moral perfection, righteousness. And God will one day soon make all things new, including our bodies and even the earth itself. 
paradise will be given back. And Jesus is the hero who has accomplished all of this for us. Jesus is the law keeper. You see, Adam failed to keep the law, but Jesus was, or Adam was our representative head. We fell into sin with him, and the result was sin and death, eternal condemnation. But where Adam failed, Jesus succeeded. He perfectly obeyed all of God's law for us, knowing that we can't do it. He perfectly obeyed all of God's law. And through faith in him, God the Father credits us with Christ's own perfect obedience to the law. He did for us what we could never do for ourselves. Jesus is the law keeper. And Jesus is the lamb. He is the lamb of God. He is the perfect, unblemished, spotless lamb who sacrificed his life for us. God's righteous wrath and judgment for our sin was poured out on the lamb so that we would not have to face that judgment ourselves. Jesus is the law keeper. Jesus is the lamb, the lamb of God. But then finally, Jesus is the lion, the lion of Judah, the conquering hero, the king. He has conquered sin and death by rising from the grave. And he will come again to judge all people of all time. And he will make all things new, a new heaven and a new earth. That is the gospel story. Paradise was given by God. Paradise was given up by man. But paradise was given back by God through Jesus, the law keeper, the lamb, and the lion of Judah. Today, then, we want to look at Jesus, the law keeper. Our text is in Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 through 20, and also Romans chapter 5, verses 12 through 21. So that's Matthew 5, 17 to 20, Romans 5, 12 to 21. And what's the big idea? What do I want you to take away from this? What is the key statement or theme here that I want us to remember? It is this, that Jesus is the law keeper who perfectly fulfilled the law of God and who gives those who believe in him the gift of perfect righteousness. He perfectly obeyed, and now when God sees you and me in Christ, he sees you and me as perfectly obedient to the law of God little context then for our text. Our first scripture passage, Matthew 5, 17 to 20, is from Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And here Jesus is pointing out the total inadequacy of the righteousness of the Pharisees, the Pharisees, the rulers, the religious rulers, and the teachers of the law. He is correcting their wrong teachings in which they had a, a legalistic and outward appearances only of right, view of righteousness. And it's saying, no, righteousness begins truly from within. Righteousness is a matter of the heart. It's not a matter of outward appearances or outward conformity only. But it is something that is from within the heart. So there are some who are hearing Jesus. He was saying these things. And it sounded like, what, is he, is he overturning 
the law of God, what God gave to us and the law and the prophets and the writings of Moses, the, the Old Testament scriptures? Is he come to turn that over, to abolish that? But no, Jesus has not come to overturn or to abolish the law of God, the law of Moses. No, he has not come to do that. He has come what? To fulfill it. And so in the process of proclaiming that, he then says something that without a doubt must have utterly shocked his first century Jewish listeners. Maybe it might shock some of us today. It says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 17, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly, I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. So first we see Jesus here proclaiming that he is the fulfillment of the law. He is the fulfillment of the law. See, Jesus, some of these things he said might have caused some of his listeners to misunderstand him. Is he suggesting what? We just throw all that out and just listen to him now and what he says? Oh, no, we don't throw out the Old Testament law. Rather what? Jesus has come to fulfill it, and he is the fulfillment of the law. He was not teaching some new law that overturned the law of the prophets, the Old Testament scriptures. So I ask, well, if, how, how did he fulfill it? How is Jesus the fulfillment of the law? What did he mean when he says that he has come to fulfill them and that he is the fulfillment of the law? Well, one commentator, I think, summarizes this very well for us. How is Jesus the fulfillment? How did he fulfill the law and the prophets? By being perfect, exactly. <laughs> he says, Jesus Christ fulfilled the prophets in that in his first coming alone, he fulfilled hundreds of prophecies concerning himself. And so first of all, Jesus is the fulfillment of all the prophecies about a Messiah. So he fulfilled, he is the fulfillment of the prophets of the prophets in that. But how is he the fulfillment of the law? By being perfect and obeying it all, right? Jesus Christ fulfilled the law in at least two ways, as a teacher and as a doer. He taught people to obey the law, and he obeyed the law himself. In living a perfect life, Jesus fulfilled the moral laws. In his sacrificial death, Jesus fulfilled the ceremonial laws. Christ came not to destroy the old religious system, 
but to build upon it. He came to finish the old covenant and establish the new. Jesus came not to destroy the law and the prophets, but to fulfill them. In fact, the ceremonies, sacrifices, and other elements of the old covenant were only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. The tabernacle and temple were holy places made with hands, but they were never meant to be permanent. They were but copies of the true things. The law had a built-in expiration date, being filled as it was with external regulations applying until the time of the new order. So in his fulfillment of the law and the prophets, Jesus obtained our eternal salvation. No more priests, no more were priests required to offer sacrifices and enter the holy place. Jesus has done that for us once and for all. And by grace through faith, we are made right with God. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. Amen. So Jesus is the fulfillment of the law. He fulfilled the prophecies of the Messiah, but he fulfilled the law by perfectly obeying it all, and he is the fulfillment of all of those things that pointed forward through the ceremonies and the temple. All of that was pointing forward to him and his perfect once-for-all-time sacrifice. Jesus is the fulfillment of the law, but you notice also here the magnitude of the law, the magnitude. Jesus says, For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Iota is the smallest letter in the Greek alphabet. A dot is like in the, the Hebrew texture, a little what we would call maybe like a period or an apostrophe. Not even the tiniest little portion of, the, of God's law will pass away until all has been accomplished. How much of the word of God is, in, is inspired? All of it. Every single bit of it. Every word. And not a word of it will pass away. If God said it, <laughs> he'll do it. Right? Not any of it will pass away until all is accomplished. And Jesus warns, he says, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same, oh, well, that's not important. I know God said that, but that's, that's not important. Hmm. They will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom. Do you want to be great in the kingdom of heaven? Absolutely. Obey the law and teach others to do the same. You will be great in the kingdom. So not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. And all of this then, to be a Bible teacher, does that mean you stand up in front of a class or even stand in a pulpit? Well, yeah, we teach the scriptures that, but who else, who else is a Bible? Are you a Bible teacher? We all are. How We all teach the Bible by how we live and how we speak of it to others, don't we? And so we must be very careful then 
to teach God's word accurately and faithfully. Because when we mishandle that, if we mishandle his word, we'll be called least in the kingdom. But whoever faithfully obeys it and teaches it properly will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. See, God takes his law seriously, and so should we. So we see the fulfillment of the law in Jesus. We see the magnitude of the law here. And then finally we see the shocking demand of the law. I want us to imagine for a moment that we are back in the time of Jesus when he is first saying these things. And we're living at that time. We are first century Jews. And we hear this rabbi here speaking to us. And he says something that, we might read this now and we're just like, well, I don't. But if we had listened then, it would have been shocking to us. He says, For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. We're like, yeah, so what? Well, think about it. If we were living there, who was the very epitome of righteousness, do you think, in the minds of the people those days? The Pharisees, you want to be right? Well, the Pharisees, they're the righteous ones, right? Because look at how diligently they study the law and they practice and they, they make sure they're following all of these laws, right? The wrong laws, though, right? <laughs> so we think the Pharisees are the epitome of righteousness. That's what the people saw in them. But Jesus says, oh, no, you've got to be more righteous than them. If we were to put that in our day, it might be like, let's say, let's say you had to be rich. Who, who's, the richest pe- who's the richest person on the planet now? Is it Elon Musk still or Jeff Bezos or whoever, one of those guys, right? What if I said, oh, well, you want to enter the kingdom of heaven? You have to be more rich than Elon Musk. What? <laughs> right? Well, then, well, who can be saved then, right? That's how that would have sounded to them. I have to be more righteous than the Pharisees to enter the kingdom of heaven? What chance do I have? See, because that's how the people saw the Pharisees. But how did God see them? How did Jesus see them? What did Jesus see in the Pharisees? He saw self-righteousness. He saw hypocrisy. He saw a focus on externals and appearances. Man-made laws. Man-centered laws done for the approval of others. Is that righteousness? Jesus said, oh, that kind of righteousness? No. That's not going to get you into the kingdom of heaven. Not that kind of righteousness. Yours needs to exceed that. See, God requires much more than that. And in fact, what does God require? Perfection. Well, we're all sunk then, right? By the way, as I've said before on other occasions, you want God to require absolute perfection. You may think, oh, no, I don't, because I'm so who? No, you do. You want God to require absolute perfection. And here's why. If God did not require absolute perfection, if he allowed sin forever and ever, what kind of world would we have? 
One a whole lot like this one, and even worse probably, right? You want God to require absolute perfection, but I can't be absolutely perfect, you say. I know, you can't, I can't, none of us can. But guess what? He can, he did, and he gives that to us as a gift, that perfection. Now, do we experience that absolute perfection right here, right now, in these mortal bodies? No, we don't. But we will. He already sees you and me in Christ as morally perfect, righteous. And one day we will be in reality, in practice. When he raises, resurrects these mortal bodies, we will be what he already sees us as now. You want to live in that kind of heaven, don't you? God requires perfection. So if he requires absolute moral perfection and we are incapable of it, what are we going to do? We're all in trouble. Well, you see, God had a plan. God had a plan to give to us what his own perfection required. We're told in Romans chapter 5, verse 12, it says, Therefore, here Paul is speaking of Adam, and Adam's paradise was given to man by God. But then paradise was given up by man in the person of Adam. But he says, Romans 5, verse 12, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned, for sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. Adam was a type of the one who was to come. Hmm. But he says, But the free gift is not like the trespass, for if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin, for the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness leading to eternal life 
through Jesus Christ our Lord. Here we see the first Adam and the second Adam, two representatives or two heads of the human race. The first man, Adam. The second man, Jesus Christ. The first man, Adam. The first Adam, what did he do? He disobeyed the law. He brought sin, death, and condemnation, and he made the many sinners. Adam disobeyed the clear command of God not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And when he disobeyed, he brought sin and death and condemnation into the world. Sin, that is the the sin nature, that propensity within all of us toward disobedience and rebellion against the law of God. He brought death, spiritual death, physical death, eternal death, spiritual death, that separation from that intimacy with God, that inability then to respond to God's goodness, that physical death, our bodies are slowly breaking down and will die, eternal death, that eternal separation and judgment, condemnation, God's righteous judgment on sin, guilty. Are there any guilty people in this room? Every single one of us, right? Every one of us, guilty. Justly condemned. And Adam's act of disobedience made the many sinners. And all people since Adam are sinners by nature and by practice. It's in our nature. It's what we do. And by practice, we prove it in the things that we do, right? That's the first Adam. That's the bad news. Remember, the gospel is good news, but you have to understand the bad news before we understand the good news, right? That's the bad news. We're all sinners. We're all condemned. But the second Adam, the second man, Jesus, what? He obeyed the law. He brought justification and life, and he made the many righteous. Jesus perfectly obeyed all of God's law. He brought justification to you and me. If your faith is in him, God says of you, not guilty. So if you have put your trust in Christ, do you need to stand before God feeling guilty and ashamed? No, you are not guilty. Now don't misunderstand me. Do we sometimes sin and we may feel guilt about that and need to confess that? Of course, I know that. But I'm talking about what we are by nature before him. He says, now we are not guilty in Christ. He brought justification, not guilty. He brought life, spiritual life, physical life, eternal life. He has declared us righteous. That is, we have a perfect legal standing before God. He does not see our sin. He sees the perfection and the obedience of Jesus in its place. When we believe we're justified, we're declared righteous. As we grow in faith, we are being sanctified, which is what increasingly set apart in our everyday life or practice in righteousness. And then glorification is what? The end of that when we will be in practice, what we already are legally before him. When our bodies are transformed, glorified, resurrected, and we stand perfect in his presence. 
And how is that received? By our efforts to try harder, to be a better person? No, by faith in the one who perfectly obeyed the law. So Jesus is the law keeper. He perfectly obeyed every part of all of God's law for you. And by faith, he gives you his perfect obedience. He gives you his righteousness received as a gift by faith. It's amazing, isn't it? So you are not condemned. You are righteous. You are not guilty. You are perfect in Christ forever. That's hard for us to to swallow, isn't it? You're perfect. Because I'm not. No, not yet. Not yet. But God has already declared you perfect. And is God going to fail to bring about in reality what he has already promised and declared? He will. You are perfect in Christ forever. So what? What should I do with this? It would remind us where we started that Jesus is the law keeper who perfectly fulfilled the law of God and who gives those who believe in him the gift of perfect righteousness received by faith. Stop striving. Stop trying to be a better person. Rest in Christ's perfection. Now don't misunderstand me. Am I suggesting that we are to make no effort to work out our salvation? Just to sit back and be content with what you are, who you are? No. But we can't strive through our own efforts to be righteous and holy. What we can do is rest in Christ's perfection knowing that we are seen and accepted now as perfect and righteous in him. Now does this mean then, again, that we don't make any effort? No, the Christian life, how many of you know the Christian life? Christian life is not difficult. It's been said. The Christian life is not difficult. The Christian life is impossible, right? That's why we need the Spirit of God and why we need to depend on God to produce the fruit of righteousness in our lives. So stop striving. Rest in Christ's perfection. And obey then. Obey out of love and gratitude for Christ. Not because you think, I've got to be a better person so that God can love me more or God will accept me. No, you are already accepted. You are already loved. You are already declared righteous. Obey then now out of love and gratitude for Christ and what he has done for us. Jesus is the law keeper. He kept the law for us. He is the lamb of God who sacrificed himself for our sin. We're going to look at that on Friday night. And then next Sunday we're going to celebrate the lion, that Jesus is the lion who conquered sin and death by rising from the grave. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this hope that we have 
in the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord, that, that we do not have to strive to try harder to be better because you have already declared us perfect in Jesus. And one day you will bring about that perfection to its completion, to its fulfillment in us. When you resurrect these mortal bodies and give, them, give us glorious resurrection bodies like your own, we will be perfect and complete, standing before you, perfect in practice as well as in standing. But until then, Lord, I pray that you would encourage us, that we would depend upon you, that we would look to your spirit, Lord, that he would do a mighty work in our lives as we submit to him, submit to your word. I pray, Lord, that the fruit of righteousness would be seen in us and that we would submit, Lord, out of love and gratitude for our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the law keeper, who is the lamb, and who is the conquering lion. In his name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to today's message. For more information about Wonder Lake Bible Church, visit wlbiblechurch.org.